Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with the Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. I'm Brian Moore, and alongside me in the studio today is the former Lions and England star, Rob Andrew. Over the course of the show, we'll be unpicking the first test with Sir Graham Henry, Sir Ian McGeekin, James Hook and Malcolm O'Kelly, and later on we'll be speaking Super League with Gary Schofield. Remember, every Sunday you can join us live on the Telegraph website and on Facebook Live from 6pm. And make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast. It's free after all, and please leave us a review. Okay, on with the show. Rob, um, some people are saying the score didn't reflect the game. Or the weekend, Lions 15, the All Blacks 30. But I simply said, well, if you create four chances and take two, and they create three and take three, that's about 14 points. So, um, whatever you analyse around there, that's the essential difference. Yeah, hi, hi Brian. Um, look, it was a strange game, wasn't it? I mean, it was it, it was 30 points to eight uh, until that last try. Yeah. Um, and it was all ifs and buts. Lions could have scored in the first two minutes, could have scored in the first three minutes just after half time. Which would have made but, the give a big, a big difference in the momentum of the game. It, it would have done, um, but they didn't. And that's been one of the one of the failings probably of the tour yeah. where, where they've created some chances but haven't taken them all. And then the All Blacks do what they do, which is take every half chance that comes along mm-hmm. and, and even catch you a little bit cold, you know, with those two tries that came from effectively penalty advantages that they, they, they played with. Well, I mean, that that for me was really... There were two aspects of the loss which were very disappointing for me. And I, and I believe the Lions should be in private, very upset and angry about. One, they lost a physical battle. Uh, in whatever facet it was, whether it was in the tight uh, and certainly at the breakdown, they were physically not... They were physically outgunned by an all-black side that are not per man more powerful. Just on the day, they came second best. And secondly, those moments of inattention, the sort of things when you're at school that the teacher goes crazy about, you know, you play to the whistle and, and all these things. And to see, you know, highly skilled players uh, turning in, not counting and so on, they they should be furious with themselves for for those for those things. Yeah, uh, well, that and other things as well. But no, I totally agree with you. And I'm still still trying to work out what, what sort of happened with that Lions performance because 
look, we've all got our views on this, but it was almost like it wasn't full of all the really good stuff they did against the Crusaders and the yes. Maori. Because we, we absolutely... Well, they were angry performances, but yeah. they were very focused performances. Okay, a little bit narrow in the, in their sort of tactical approach, but they completely snubbed out um, the Crusaders in particular. The Maori are not as strong a side as the Crusaders. And so it was almost like something happened during the week last week, and, and even Gatlin's language changed during the week. We started talking about being courageous and taking risks, and and you know as well as I do that that sometimes players can be affected by the smallest uh, changes in in messaging that goes yeah. out with the team, and it just felt to me like um, there was an edge missing. It wasn't really an angry Lions performance. It was almost as if they were expecting the physicality to take on New Zealand because they they got angry against the Crusaders and and the Maori. Mm. And they just slipped off the intensity yep. and the physicality, um, and the concentration and because of that. Because probably. of that, it just then you know, and maybe the messaging um, subliminally around the selection of the back three said we're gonna we're gonna maybe do a little bit. And it was summed up for me in the first few minutes when uh, Tad Furlong threw yep, that, that pass. Yep. When you suddenly thought. What is, what is he doing? Yeah. And it was almost like the player's mindset had been slightly switched yeah. away from the intensity of the physical... It was almost like a World Cup final where beforehand you'd played relatively <laughs> relatively restricted well, rugby and then found yourself well, throwing the ball all over the field at Twickenham well, against I Australia. I didn't want to actually bring that up because <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure which one of us feels most strongly about that. But there's, there was something... Really, no, I, I really strange. But, but was it also this: the the, the All Blacks, as as, was, as everyone should know, are very astute readers of the game, and one of the big things the Lions had managed to to do in the Saturday performances was they got great line speed outside, especially throwing the man out around outside yeah. centre, so that yeah. the inside backs, when they looked up, they saw someone and they had to turn back inside, and instead of <coughs> excuse me running against that. They battered the area off nine yeah. around the around the breakdown. So they took a lot of a lot of ball, really narrow on really narrow runs, um, and of course the, you know defenders are not many defenders certainly around the back of the road, but it's on the sides. Once you beat one of the guards or the pillars, then you, especially when you offload, and they were, New Zealanders were doing this, and they were managing to cope with it, but it was dragging players in, and it meant the outside backs then had to retreat. Behind the you know the gain line is constantly going back against them. So when it did go wide, they're either men down or they're on the back foot. So I thought that was a very very clever way of of negating you know line speed, which when you move ball first up off static, you know ball or, or even just wider, uh, you you get hit. Oh, look you look, we've got to um, premise this on the fact that. This is a an incredibly good New Zealand side, so yeah. we're not we're not uh, we're looking here at, at arguably the best team the world has maybe ever produced in terms of the last the last two or three the last two well the last two World Cups the last period yes. of time yes, in De international De rugby um, the quality of of this coaching group and playing group and and let's let's that's a really good point about the coaching group as as well as not just of players. 
you know, the inventiveness and the, the, the depth the, of analysis and, uh, and tactical. It's an incredibly smart yeah. uh, group of players, coaches, very experienced, uh, double world champions, um, loads of caps, mm. played together loads of times against a, effectively a scratch team, albeit a scratch team from a pretty good squad of Lions, but yep. still a scratch team. And maybe, you know, we can touch on that as well. But And they were very smart. Mm. And the only way the Lions are going to win any of these matches is if the Lions are near perfect yep. in whatever tactics they choose and the, the All Blacks are just slightly off. Yeah. Because that's... Or are made to be slightly off because they're under pressure because it, you're the human. And we've got like, to take a question from... Uh, uh, Phil Fandango, and I don't imagine that's his proper name, but anyway. How did the 93 team come back to win the second test? Uh, or rather, what made the difference to do so? Now, um, well, I think it was simply this. Physically, the intensity in the second test, as in 89, was far higher from the Lions because we knew there was no way back. And if we didn't get it right and we didn't beat the All Blacks, uh, that aspect of the game, what 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 was the left? You know, tactically everything went out the window because you weren't in the right intensity, and nothing will work for this Lions side unless they at least match them in in that aspect, that physical aspect. Yeah, they've got no they, chance. They've, they've no chance unless they do that. But also uh, in that, but also in '93, we actually should have won the first test. Yeah. So we were we were, I mean, results are in the record book. But, you know, there was nothing in the first test. We matched New yeah. Zealand in the first test and, and we, we lost with a, a last-minute penalty. Yeah. So there was a belief there as well. And, and, and I just hope that the Lions' belief that, that was building probably against Crusaders and Maori hmm. hasn't, been, hasn't been too dented. And they should be angry with themselves after, that te- after Saturday. Yeah. Because... If, if, then these are all obviously ifs, but having got into the position of nearly scoring in the, you know, both of halves and then giving away essentially soft, soft, soft tries, um, you look at that performance and the, and the score, you know, would have been very different. It's a matter of record now. But when you're analysing that, New Zealand on the day were the 14 points better because of the way it came out. There's no reason why. If those things aren't put right, it shouldn't be a closer game. No, I, 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 I went into the game on Saturday expecting it to be a close game, um, and I, I just think, and not that, as thrilling actually. Not, no, no, no I didn't want it to be as thrilling. No, no. <laughs> to be honest, no. I mean, it, and it was an extraordinary try the Lions scored, and yeah. actually they could have scored another couple of of very, tries, very long good, distance yeah, tries ones, yeah. that would have that would have gone down as some of the best in in Lions history. But yeah. but they count that counts for nothing if if you don't actually get it over the line yeah. and and I I just think that that they it looks like the, an edge has gone off the the performance in terms of the intensity and the physicality of the set piece well a couple the of defense. things the scrum has got to be solid you know moments in attention tag following gets his right shoulder too high you go back and they score a try now that's a question of concentration um not necessarily his fault alone you know the, the people around him who need to... It all needs to be right, but that's a concentration thing. And, for example, the All Blacks, how many driven moles were there? Virtually none, because they sacked them straight away. And that's a question of organisation and intensity as well. Um, I think on the ground, 
were still we we reverted to this, you know. And Ireland, Ireland, when they played them in Chicago, and when England do well, this blasting past the ball, so you're not stopping on the ball to protect it. You just clear people, yeah. you know. And the ball looks after itself then because the the gain line and the advantage line, the offside line, should be you know advancing for you, retreating for them. So it should be safe anyway. But we seem to have this ability or or desire to protect the ball in you know in in amongst us. When if we just hit the thing and get everything moving forward, those bits take care of themselves. All, all people give penalties away because it's obviously coming in the side. So they've got to they've got to do that. Another question from uh, Harvey Langford and um, uh, Bart Crisp, and similar ones. Would a World Fifteen or one of the home nations provide more of a challenge? Um, to New Zealand than in the Lions, given the familiarity and greater prep time. Well, a World 15 would have the same problems and probably not. I think it's arguable that England, Ireland maybe, on a one-off basis or, or a tour basis, might might easily do as well. I mean, they wouldn't have the romance, but... Uh, um, yeah, well, actually, if you look at the last couple of tours down there, both England and Ireland have, have gone very close, in, in particularly in the first test. Yeah. Um, and that's always... Yeah. This is the lifelong debate about the Lions, isn't it, in terms of preparation, yeah. getting a test team together. I mean, you've got a, a test halfbacks that have yeah. played two matches, no, one match together before Conor Murray and well, Owen a back Farrell. Three, a back three that hadn't played one. So you so you take those things into account. Now, that yeah. that goes with, you know, that's the romance of the Lions. Yeah. Um, but you are, by having the romance of that, you... You clearly cannot be putting us. The All Blacks have played together for God knows how many times. Well, and if you look through that team, um, when when you when it came down to it, you know the the new cap Oenig had, had two caps, but everyone else had about sixty eight. You know, yeah, mid- and he's, on the, he's mid- on the left wing. He's not, yes, exactly. he's not making big. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. not making big decisions. You know, when you when you got Aaron Smith and you can bring TJ Perinar on, uh, I mean, I thought Aaron Smith was fabulous. I thought he was he was so sharp. Um, in and around, he directed things so well. But then again, he was given a platform going forward as well. Yeah, and that, look, that, and this is, this is uh, we go back to it, this is against, this is damn difficult what the Lions have been asked to do um, because it's it's an outstanding set of New Zealand players and coaches and, and therefore we're being probably uber critical. But if if the Lions in the current format have got any chance of beating New Zealand, yeah. and I think... I, I just think there's a there's some frustration and disappointment after Saturday because there was a genuine feeling of actually that yes. there is a chance here. This is not hope against hope. This is yeah. there is a there is a chance here, but mm. you have to do everything right. Yeah. And they didn't. That that's no. the disappointing. And thing. the more well, and, and I'll go back to this. I'm sorry to go back to this, but the things that that they didn't do right were things that they should have done right, not the things that we hoped. They might do right because they were a, a team with talent and they might be able to develop them. You know, you should pay attention when the referee blows his whistle. You should not, you know, find yourself, you know, with that with the second try. Although it came from, although O'Brien was held in by uh, by Kane, the fact is when the ball moved left, they had a three to one overlap yeah. from from first phase. Now that just shouldn't happen. No, you know, because people switched off and they didn't. You know, the people from the blinds didn't didn't get there in time. So, you know, and then, you know, there was a dropped high ball that happened sometimes, but but the organisation around that, you know, could and probably should have, have been better. We mentioned, we're touching on this, a similar thing. You're alluding to sort of the um, the future tours. 
Uh, they might not be in this format. Now, we were discussing beforehand the fact that this is the last tour under the current uh, Sanzar and um, Home Unions agreement. And now they've got to, what, what have they got to do now then after this runs out? Well, the, the current agreement is a 12-year agreement that covered the 2009 tour, 13 and 17. And now there's got to be a renegotiation on, on the next <coughs> the next few tours. Um and, and look, we've already had English clubs coming out and saying that they won't, they, yes. won't, they won't, they won't be getting the players on these terms oh, again. That's great timing, um, isn't it? Thanks very know, much. Which, yeah. which is not particularly helpful. No, but is it? But is a factor and is is part of modern day professional sport. Um, and I, I, I'm not convinced that they will be the same going forward. I don't think. I don't think necessarily the clubs will allow them to be the same. Really? I All think right. that I think the, there's money issues. I think there is an issue as well over you know the selection of these players who are there, some of whom probably going to be capped lions or lions not capped lions but play for the lions tomorrow um, on Tuesday against yeah. the Hurricanes, who are probably only there because they happen to be in Australia. Yeah. Um, so I think you know that's that's not right for the long. The, this is meant to be if you're Joe Launchbury or some of the England boys, you're meant. This is you know this is a meant to be the pinnacle of your rugby career, which you and I are both fortunate enough to do. Yeah. I didn't get picked the first time in 89. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I was fortunate enough to go because somebody got injured. Yeah. Now, you know, if there'd been another fly half in, uh, yeah. in Australia, I might not have got picked. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a big issue. Isn't, isn't this is, this is the problem. On the one hand, you've got everything that makes the Lions great in terms of the romance and the, the notion that everyone has a chance to get in the test team and you play in the midweek games because you want that sort of um, commitment to the home un- the, the the hosting union to spread the word and the spread the game. Um, and yet, if you were being ultra-professional, you'd probably say, right, tell you what, we'll pick 30-odd players, or 30 players maybe, um, we'll play three warm-up games, all on, all on well, maybe one on a Tuesday, but nearly all of them on Saturdays, and we're just going to three tests, and that's yeah. it. But if you want to win, because that's the best way of if, us winning. If you want to win the test series, you and, and you think that the halfbacks, the best halfbacks in the in the four home countries are Conor Murray and Owen Farrell, who've played one match together yep. before the test match on Saturday, right? And the yep. back three who haven't played any, don't be surprised when what happens on Saturday happens. Yeah, because it. But if you if you run slap back in, in into what is the pro- if you if you were doing this from scratch as a professional exercise you would not do it the way they're doing it and oh. then but then it wouldn't be aligned to as we know it and what and what happens to what happens to that because it initially the initial selection would be then so contentious it would and you'd get you probably get some um, supporters from some unions saying I'm not doing this then. If my if my people don't have a chance of even getting in because they're not there, I'm sorry, I'm not even supporting you, which is not traditionally how the Lions is and presumably how we want it to be. And it it's an almost impossible. I'm finding it very difficult to 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 bring arguments forward to but to do, not doing it a different way though because I let's let's face it, the All Black side is a different challenge to South Africa and Australia, and they might well have won those series. Um, at the present, at the present moment, with the players, but that's not 
a but professional you're, but attitude. You're, but you're, there, you're effectively saying, look, we're not really going to beat the All Blacks in the Test Series, yeah. given this current structure. Yeah. You know, we, we like to think, and we'll all put our red jerseys on, and we'll all go down to New Zealand, and there's 30,000 people, and we're all watching back here, mm-hmm. and it's all fantastic. But actually, lads, we know that you're not going to win, really, because... We, we haven't given you in a professional era. Yeah. This is not the amateur era like it was, you know, yeah. when guys in all, even the All Blacks were not quite as fully professional as they are now. No, completely. And, yeah. and you have a chance of putting a group of players together. But this is one of the most f- finely tuned rugby teams that's ever been produced, mm. the All Blacks. And they're getting better. Yeah. As well. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's. So you're saying to the four home unions, lads, you know, good luck. Mm. You know, we'll do our best for you. We'll chuck a 40 of you together. We'll play a couple of games. We'll see who comes out the other end. And then we'll go, right. And what, and what about, you know, the, what about the, the, this run square, square into uh, sort of player issues? Because the, the players are going to have to get used to, well, England have got their agreement, but... Uh, with the, uh, the the clubs, but you meant we 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 hinted at what the clubs want to do. Um, if they get their level of playing time there, the players are going to have a say about this because their player welfare protocols are going to go out the window. Now, what will happen then? Well, there's already an issue around the Lions, th- effectively through through playing twice a week. Yeah, it's it's the only form of the game now, apart from actually the World Cup, where normally the second tier nations get lumbered with playing on a tuesday and yeah. and wednesday but it's you know it's the only form really where um certainly in england we allow players to to play you know every sort of two or three days yeah. um george cruz did 80 minutes in a test match he's on the bench again tomorrow night could come on in the f- could be on yeah. in the first 10 minutes yep and then he then then he might have to play the second test on on saturday yeah these things in the modern professional game and, and with the season structure arguments that are going on going forward beyond 2019, when obviously the tours look like they're shifting to July, but there's going to be still club rugby starting in September. And the players union are, are saying, look, this is, we, this is unsustainable. We can't do this. And, and actually, we're not going to do this. So that, well, what does that mean? That means a strike. Well, they've got a strike. But the, but that I mean I mean no one wants that but presumably uh, well it, it's well, a risk I mean look yeah. at you know look at how much look at the Australian cricketers at the moment in yeah. terms of, now that's a slightly different it's about money and contracts but this is all this is about player welfare in rugby and the amount of matches that these guys can play yeah um, and it's not like the amateur era twenty five thirty years mm. ago um, and all of these things when there's so much money at stake will will mm. come home to roost and the main actors in this as with Australian cricketers, are the players. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions. Time now to speak to a former Lion of 2009 vintage, and uh, it says here, utility Welsh uh, back. I think that's slightly harsh. Um, or, or it denotes the fact that he, he's a very, very good footballer, which is fine. It's James Hook. Hello, James. How are you, Brian? Uh, well, with, with Rob here. We were, Hi, James. How are you doing, Rob? We're, uh, we're trying to deconstruct the uh, the the performance. And in, in, in one way, we were struggling with the fact that actually the things that um, we uh, took for granted, the power up front and sort of, 
you know, the the high ball game, the, the the kicking game didn't quite go as well as we thought they might, or they didn't stick to them. And the, but then they created sort of long term or sort of long range try opportunities with creativity. It, it was a it was a strange mix to us. Did it? Did it what did you feel about that? Yeah, no, you're right. It was strange. I think you know it always sort of got me worried. I think when <clears throat> we went on about the sort of New Zealand Type Five after the Crusaders game, you know, there was no way they were going to play that bad again. And um, yeah, I think. You know, obviously the creativity we we had for the for the tries, you know, particularly Liam Williams, I thought um, the O'Brien try, you know, the way, you know, his ability was fantastic. I think we need that, you know, going into the second test. But I just you know the, the All Blacks, I think just the ability to generate that slow ball into quick ball, you know, the tempo they get in the game, and at the end of the day, you know, they they took the opportunities and we didn't. Yeah, I mean, you're right up to date with with the way in which training and so on goes. How Difficult is it for say the back three that the Lions picked to turn out in a full blown test match with just the preparation of the week's training and not actually game time? I don't think it's too difficult. You know, I think the back three that was picked, you know, they're an attack first mentality type players, and um, you know, Liam Williams showed that in, in his break for the try, and, and Elliot Daly, I thought, had a really good game, you know, when, when he had his opportunity. And um, you know, they've been together quite a while now, and I think. They just went out on the pitch and, and done the job. And obviously Liam Williams dropped the ball for that um, Rico Arnie try. But yeah. Um, yeah, I thought on a whole he had a fantastic game. What What about this um, support lines? Breaks made, players just not quite getting there, not anticipating either the break itself or the angle of the run, and so on. What can be done to to change that and, and make these 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 chances? Uh, Turning to scores. Yeah, it was quite interesting. I think you know, obviously working with Rob Howley, you know, he likes his backline to be very deep and coming onto the ball. And you know, I thought you know they attacked quite well. You know, but looking at New Zealand's attack, they were a lot flatter. You know, they were playing a lot on the gain line, and they've just got natural footballers who can beat people one on one, get that little you know half a yard, get that offload away, and just get over the gain gain line time after time. And I think you know, I was watching quite closely at that, and I found that was a difference. You know, mm-hmm. I think it, James, hi, it's Rob here. Hi, Rob. Brian and I were just chatting earlier about the challenges of putting putting a Lions Test team together. You know, in such a short space of time against one of the best teams that the world has ever produced in in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And for example, you know, Connor Murray and, and Owen Farrell played one game together as halfbacks before playing in a, in this Test match. And I'm just sort of sitting here thinking, God, wouldn't it be? How amazing would it have been if if that back three and Jonathan David, uh, Jonathan Davis had yeah. been able to play together for you know twelve months, and the the pace of Elliot Daly and the breaks that Jonathan Davis has been making up until yeah. now, and and just that first two minutes of the game and just after half time, had they all been playing together for twelve months, I know I know it's a ridiculous mm. notion, but we, they would have scored those tries in their sleep, yeah, um, because. It's just that understanding that, unfortunately, you don't get the time to do that in a Lions tour, do you? Yeah, definitely. You do get that understanding. You look at the best sort of half-pack partnerships in the world. You know, they've been playing together for, for years and years. And they've got, you know, ridiculous amount of caps together. And, yeah, you know, in an ideal world, yeah, you'd want them to be playing together for longer. But, you know, in a Lions tour, obviously, you've only got a short period of time to do that. And, um, you know, going back to that back three, you know, I hope they do stick with that same back three. You know, I think, you know, they'll get a little bit of a better understanding mm-hmm. going into the second test. And, um you know, there's talk of bringing Lee Penny back in, but I think you know the answer is you know the back three that played last week. I'm fairly sure. I I I think he will, he will sort that. But the but the funny enough, I wrote about their 
selection and said, actually, on, on the one hand, you could say they're attacking moves. But on the other hand, each of those players, you know, in exit strategies has got a significant boot on them. You know, and if they want to play that sort of territorial game, you're not losing anything by by picking those three, oh, are you? No, no look, they, go on, sorry, Jim. No, sorry, no, I was going to say, they can do that, absolutely. And, you know, they, they can take high balls, they can kick long distance. But like I said earlier on, you know, like that back three is just an attack first mentality. And, you know, they instinctively, you know, go out there to attack first and then just see what's on. And, you know, Liam Williams, when he made that break, you know, it was really good. You know, he took Aaron Cruden on and yeah. immediately he was looking up, he was looking who's around. You know, he didn't didn't panic, took the tackle, offloaded John and Davis, and obviously that's what created the try. But um, yeah, absolutely, I think you know they can all kick, they can all catch high balls, just like Lee Halfpenny can. And the other good thing about picking those guys is, which is what you know often happens on a Lions tour, is 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 this the players during the tour who step up uh, and actually perform and, and and earn that right to be selected in in the Test match when I mean, you probably. You probably wouldn't have picked any of those three in the first test no. at the moment the plane landed in New Zealand. Um, so I, and I think the selection was right from that point mm-hmm. of view. Um, and, and the back three didn't cost us the game. No. Um, but they, they give us an opportunity when we create the chances, which we have done in the other games, you know, to cause New Zealand problems. And, and they, we did cause them problems. James, can I just ask, ask you this as a sort of final question? If you're now looking to get at the all-black halfbacks who had great games, mm-hmm. um, but they were allowed to because they had the ball going forward. What can you actually do about that? Is there, are there specific things or is it just a case of, of more pressure and better pressure? Yeah, well, I think they did have pressure on, on New Zealand, you know, and the defence you know, throughout the tour has been pretty good. But I think just, you know, like I mentioned just now, that they play on the game line, the football mm-hmm. ability of, of Bowden Barrett and Sonny Bill and, and Crotty, these sort of boys, um, you know, just... They just sort of naturally probably better players, and uh, I think they have inside runners, outside runners, yeah. and you know it's hard, it's hard to pick everyone up. And um, again, you know, I seen a fact earlier that you know the Lions had five chances, scored two tries. New Zealand had three chances, scored three tries. You mm-hmm. know, and ultimately, I suppose that's the difference. Um, can you see the All Blacks making any changes um, in the backs? Well, yeah, obviously they had a couple of injuries, and you know again, you know, they coped really well with losing um, Smith. Ben Smith and Crotty, and you know, so it'd be interesting to see how they are. But um, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't make a, a lot of changes because they didn't do too bad, did they? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, James, thanks very much. I'm sure we're all trying to uh, will the the lines in for the second uh, test, but uh, obviously we'll, we'll we'll find out. And maybe uh, speak to you later on. Thank you, mate. Thanks a lot, boys. Well, it's time now to hear from the former All Blacks and the Lions coach. As uh, earlier on, I caught up with Sir Graham Henry to get his thoughts on the Lions' performance and discuss why the match was a comfortable win for New Zealand. Oh, I, I think before we get into that, you know, the Lions should be, you know, they played with a huge amount of spirit. Their defence was superb and um, they're obviously together as a group of people. Mm-hmm. And um, But they got beaten by a bit of side. You know, simple, simple as that, I think, you know. And if you look at the game, you know, they got beaten at scrum, they got beaten at the breakdown... Uh, the All Blacks took their opportunities. The, well, the, the British and Irish Lions didn't. Yeah. Uh, those sort of things. But for character and backbone and spirit, they played well. But in finishing and and in those things I've just mentioned, they got taken. The uh, All Blacks sorted out the British Lions line speed by 
driving a lot off nine and around the fringes and getting him on the back foot. Who would have been responsible for that tactical uh, switch? Well, you can see that in the Samoan game. They, they've got an attack from the from the um, from the first phase, and you know, the first scrum of the game. I looked at it because I thought it was a very important part of where the game was going to develop, and it was after probably about six or seven minutes, an all-black scrum, the first scrum of the game, and they were rock solid. Yep, rock solid, and then you there thereby you can you can attack and win the race to the gain line, and and the rush defence is nullified by doing that. So. Now, the All Blacks were, uh, who was responsible? Yeah. The coaches and the players together, they had worked that out together. They'd look uh-huh. at the opposition and say, what are their strengths? And most defence is obviously part of what the Lions have been doing um, in the previous games. And if you can get very stable platform from line out and scrum and win the race to the gain line and get in behind the Lions, it's very hard to defend. And mm-hmm. that's what they did. Uh, the... Lions would have looked. I mean, they did look to put the All Blacks under pressure with, uh, but with their kicking game. But the All Blacks seemed to cope with that fairly well. Did you think um, at any point the uh, the the Lions should have switched their game plan and tried to try different ways to get the ball beyond the gain line? Yeah, I think the the problem there, Brian, was that the the ball at the breakdown was slow. Yep. And, you know, the All Black ball at the breakdown was lightning quick. Uh, the ball carrier stayed up, stayed up and, and delivered at the last moment. Had a long place and they just blew past the ball. So Aaron Smith had a field day. He did. Plenty of space, plenty of time. So they probably one one 1.5 seconds, the ball's gone. Uh-huh. Whereas the Lions ball carrier goes to ground early and the other guys stand over the ball and protect the ball and the ball's slow and... It's twice as long to get it from nine to ten, and by that stage, you know the All Black defence is in position. So, I think that can be corrected very quickly by 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 the ball carrier staying up one and presenting well, uh-huh. and the support players blowing past the ball rather than standing over the ball. Yeah, is that just a reflection of the way that the uh, the Kiwi players play their Super rugby, or is that something that comes from earlier in terms of skill base? Well, I think it's a, it's just a, a coaching thing. I think it's been going on in European rugby for as long as I can remember. Uh-huh. You know, where the where the, the players and the forwards at the breakdown think it's their job to protect the ball. Yes, uh, and it's always been to our advantage that they have that mentality. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just part of coaching in the in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, which is different from what we do down here. Um, so what we're looking for is to win the advantage line and get lightning quick ball yeah. at that breakdown, and therefore you've got superior numbers because they're running backwards, yeah. and they haven't got time to form and defence. Um, so it's just a different way of coaching the game over a long period of time, I think. Yeah, Graham, what what um... What changes, not necessarily in personnel, but what changes in approach uh, would you deem necessary if you were Lions the, advising the British and Irish Lions? Well, you know, I think you know you can't do too much in a week, um, so you need to concentrate on perhaps three big rocks. Yeah, the scrum needs to improve, Ryan, doesn't it? Like the scrum, 
was as I said before, yes. you know, if you if you can't scrum, you can't win, in my opinion. And and I don't know whether personnel change is going to going to change that. But like the the All Blacks had a tendency at scrum; they were rock solid. They their second try was due to blowing the Lions off the ball at scrum yeah. time, or or killing them at the scrum and finish up with their only scoring in the corner. Yeah. So they need to fix the scrum. We've talked about the um, we talked about the breakdown and quick ball at the breakdown. Mm. I think that's the second thing. Like there was a time when uh, I think it was um, late in the in the first half where Ben Smith was isolated at the back. Mm. He got a pass away, but the Lions were running forward, and the All Blacks only had two players past the, behind the ball. Yeah, and the second player got tackled, and the Lions players spread out and defend it rather than blowing that ruck. Yes. It's just a different mentality of of being really positive at the breakdown and, and I think that's a huge part of the game. And they got beaten decisively at the breakdown. That might have been the key factor in the game. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is the back three got flaky on the high ball late in the game and that's where I only scored his second try. Sorry. So Williams and and um and the two wingers struggle with a high ball. And they need to fix that. And Watson and Williams and company are better than that. Yeah. So they, they, but, you know, that's the back three of the All Blacks made a couple of mistakes, but were really pretty solid. Whereas the back three of the Lions struggled as the game went on. Yeah. With the high ball. The Lions were expected to be dominant up front, and they weren't. They were expected not to be quite as creative. As they were, they they fashioned several chances and didn't finish them off. And what can be done about that? Yeah, I think it's about um, about preparation. You know, the All Blacks prepare to take opportunities, so they set those opportunities up at training, and then they they execute. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly looking to create and finish. Um, and I think that may be another factor that's different. Um, often the the Northern Hemisphere sides create but don't finish. Yes. And I wonder whether they actually see that as part of the coaching process. You, um, mean, the, you mean the physically scoring the tries in training, not just, you know, going through the moves and yeah, saying... Well, oh, yeah. just, just calling the... Just once they get in behind, just making the right decisions yep. um, to finish and score. Mm-hmm. And... Now, I, I've had some dealings with some of the sides in the Northern Hemisphere over the years, and that's a, a real weakness. And I had some time at Munster, mm-hmm. and I used to say to Leo Cullen, you know, you're creating, but you may not see what you've created. If you do see it, um, you haven't got the structure to take advantage. Uh-huh. And, I, and I think um, the coaches here understand about seeing the opportunity uh, taking advantage of the opportunity, then finishing from that opportunity. And it's all yeah. part of a coaching process, if you like. Oh, it, you said that the, the Warren Gatland seemed to be, well, it, it wasn't that he wasn't unhappy, but he said that the things that needed to put, put right were relatively simple uh, with the Lions. Um, do you agree with that? Well, we just mentioned those three things I yeah. just talked about. You know, about the scrum, about the breakdown and quick ball and about the high ball for the back three. Yeah. 
you know, you, you can't do a lot. And a, a lot of these things that the Lions players are doing are ingrained from from 10, 15 years of yep. of playing the game and being coached that way. But, you know, for quality players that play in this Lions side, I think you can change the breakdown. Uh-huh. I think they can go from protecting to getting past the ball. I think the ball carrier can can stay up and present better. Yep. Um, like the back three, they obviously can catch most of the time. I think yes. they actually ran out of steam. Liam Williams and Watson and what's the other guy's name? Ali Daly. Yep, Daly. Yeah, Daly. I, I think they're very capable. But they probably played a game that played at a, an intensity and a clip that they found yes. difficult to handle. Yes. And I think Liam Williams was probably injured in the last, you know, mm-hmm. got, and he was struggling to stay on his feet. Yeah. So uh, I think those things can be, I don't know about the scrum, but the other things can be corrected. Yeah. Um, going for, um, is there going to be any difference in uh, the, the will, the, will, the, will the venue make any difference? Or the, or the All Blacks not? No. Playing part? No, not at all? The All Blacks will get better. The All Blacks turned over some ball, didn't kick very astutely at times, and I, and I think uh, they will get better. And I think the Lions, I think the Lions are together. You know, I think they they're enjoying each other's company. They're focused and doing a good job. And I don't think there's anything any question mark about that. They're yeah. playing with some character. Yeah. Uh, can they get better? Um, yeah, sure. But you know, I, I, you can guarantee the All Blacks will go up ten percent to the next test. Uh, which is uh, quite worrying when you see the performances of the likes uh, of, of of Whitelock and Ritlick. Um How important are those two players uh, to the to the All Black cause? Well, they're both over two metres and they're both 120 kilos, and they're both great, good athletes, and they're probably the best looking middle row combination the All Blacks have ever had. Yep. Um, I think because they're such great athletes, and they. You know, they don't only do the job at light out and scrum, they create around the field and they are good defenders. So, yeah, like it's, it's a difficult job. You know, if you looked at the two sides and said, let's, let's pick the top 15 from the Lions and the All Blacks, that'll be an interesting selection, wouldn't it? Yes, it would be heavily weighted towards the All Blacks, I think. Um, what uh... I, made, I would imagine that the Lions will change their middle row for the next test match. Yeah, I think they've got to. I think they've got to. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, I mean, is there's there's one one school of thought that says, look, just put players in there who are who are not of the older uh, school, who are just competent at their primary jobs, people who've got better all round skills. The players who are coming through now, you know, so, seem to be uh, more all round players. But then you then you take away the matter of experience and. But then you're in a situation where it's a one-off test, which will either keep the Lions involved or will will doom them. So they've nothing to lose, really, have they? No, I think they've got to go for broke. I think they've probably got their best front row, but the middle row, I think they'll make two changes. So I, yeah, the two English boys will come in, I think, and start the game. Help me with that. Um, and I thought number eight was absent. In the first test, and, and I, I don't know whether somebody else can add to the, what they're doing there. Well, the problem with without Billy Vinopola, it's a sort of a make, yeah. makeshift. Uh, you you trying to fit Stander or 
uh, Haskell in there, and and then these players play sort of with ubiquity across the back row. They're not necessarily specialists. I mean, what's one of the things you I noticed about you know the balance of the All Black back row? Kieran Reid coming in after six weeks' absence and lasting that long was an extraordinary performance, especially at the level of intensity that he managed to maintain. But the All Black back row seemed to me to just have better balance. Yeah, well, they've got a genuine seven who is a link between the forwards and the backs and puts a huge amount of pressure on at the breakdown and so on. I, they, you know, I think the genuine seven in the game is very important. Like, Reed is a phenomenal player. Like, he's a great line-out player. He carries well um, and just, just loves the game. You know, he, he epitomises what New Zealand rugby is about is guys having a huge passion to play football and, and express themselves. Uh, Jerome has been here a long time, and he's he's probably the hard man of the three. And you need you need that hard carrying player who's a big defender. So, you know, they do complement each other well. Uh, Graham, can you finally can you see any other result than a than a an All Black uh, winning uh, series win uh, on Saturday? Well, you, you like the Lions have just they will believe they can do it, and if they if they don't believe that, it was a waste of time. So. I think this, this group of players have got some belief. Uh, they created a couple of chances early in the first half and early in the second half that they didn't take. They take the, if they'd taken those chances, yeah, different you know, it could have come down to the wire. So they've got to go into the second test thinking, well, we've got a, we've got a sniff here. Yeah. We need to get better. We've, t- we've discussed the, the three points where they need to get better. So yep. I, think, I still think they've got a chance. Obviously, the, the All Blacks will go in pretty strong favourites. But... Yeah. You know, it's, it's never over till the fat lady sings, as they say. So I think they've still got a chance, but they're going to have to play out of this game. Well, we will see very shortly, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, speak to you after the next test. Thank you very much, uh, Sir Graham Henry. Interesting, Rob, the bit about finishing. Uh, maybe I should have pressed uh, him a little bit more about what he actually meant about that in training. I can only imagine that he means that the back sessions I, you know, I've watched uh, and down at the Premiership clubs as well, Quinns and watch K, you know, regularly. Uh, backs go through moves and they get through the the gain line and they they make the break, they, they tie in the defenders, but they don't actually run the ball in to, and touch it down. Um, I can only imagine that he's talking about some form of practice in which they do that. He, what do you? Yeah, I think there's two parts to it for me. One, one is is that um, that, that you've got to finish off completely, finish off, um, because in a match situation, there are cover defenders appear from nowhere. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of body scramble defence. Mm-hmm. You haven't just got to break the line the first time or even the second time. You've got to get it right through to the try line. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you look at each of those missed opportunities, what the Lions had first half and second half. There's a different pass that could have been made at a critical moment in that move. Once the first bit had been done and had that pass been read and made, somebody else would have been scoring. Now, that's the the bit that you're talking about. And I think there are two bits to it. One is, are you practising correctly for the player who's having to make that under-pressure pass to make it? And I think you mentioned there's certainly the second half, Jonathan Davis probably missed a chance to make a pass slightly earlier mm-hmm. that could have put somebody in. Um, so that, there's that bit. And then, and I know we're banging on about it, but 
if you haven't played together very often yeah. and you find yourself in that high-octane situation in Eden Park against the best team in the world and you have a split second and you're probably blowing out of somewhere that, you know, hurts, mm-hmm. um, you may not make that right that right decision. Mm. Um, and if that's the critical moment... It's blooming difficult. It's easy for us to sit here and say, "Well, he should have passed that ball, you know, to the other player instead of that player." But the, the point, the point is, though, what Graham Henry is saying: um, if you practice that to to its fullest extent, you'll get better at that. Absolutely, become more instinctive. And yeah. that's the same in any yeah. whether it's line out practice, scrum yeah. practice, whatever, isn't it? Well, actually, we can speak to someone who knows about line out and scrum practice now, mm-hmm. uh, because we're going to speak to the two-time uh, former Lion and. Uh, Irish lock, Malcolm O'Kelly. Good evening, Malcolm. Oh, hey, Brian. Hey, oh, okay. Hi, Malcolm. Um, Malcolm, I feel, and I think I'm right in this, that the Lions came off second best physically um, in the breakdown and in the set. What what do they have to do, apart from just being belligerent, to, to put that right? Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think you're, you're right. I think physically... They they may have come off second best, and, and it's probably we weren't expecting that. We were almost expecting the Lions to 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 dominate up front, and you know, and key point, a key areas they lost, and a key a key points as as you know, Rob and, and Graham Henry have mentioned, key point, key times they made errors, and and similarly so up front, uh, there was a mall on their line, they lost the line out. Uh, there was a scrum opportunity uh, that the New Zealanders took. Where they, like, I almost think it was almost more of a managerial thing in that the New Zealanders changed their front row, but we kept poor old Tyke Furlong on, and he got he got dished up, and it was a penalty, a quick a quick play, and it was a try. So, you know, yes, we lost a physical battle in key points. Now, I I do think the Lions showed up and were very physical themselves. And we have to give credit to New Zealand. New Zealand are an incredibly physical side. They're, they're going to they're, they're going to match us up there, and it's about taking our our opportunities and whether they happen uh, at a line out or whether we're we're fully 100% in at every scrum. Um, these these moments are what define us, and as and say in the counter the counter rooking, we've got to have numbers there. You've got to have the right numbers there. And you know, through large passages of play, and a lot of times it's when we made that break that got. And I, 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 so many uh, critics have said it before that you know uh, that Lions players don't tend to flow through. They tend to wait for the next phase and the next pattern. You know, when the opportunity is there and we finally made that gain line, there's not really that support there. Whereas in the, the All Blacks, they seem to be, they seem to be, you know, maybe it's that they're training in a slightly different way, but they know each other better, and like they know that the offload is going to be there, and they're flooding through, um, and you know that's that that gives that impression that they're physically they're physically dominating us. Yeah, what, um, what, one one area which I was particularly disappointed in is, and this is a big thing for forwards, the driven mall. New Zealand yeah. seemed to sack it quite easily, quite early. What, yeah. what, what, you know, what is the solution to that? Um, it, it's tricky. If they if they can do if they can do it well, then there's not much you can do but change the point of attack. Yeah. Perhaps you know where you 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 shift left, shift right, uh, and 
you know that has to happen quick. But like if some if guys are aware, they can pull that down as well. You know, every team has the opportunity to pull them all. Um, you know, so you look there are ways and means that you could you could perhaps uh, you could really set yourself to stop to pull down. Um, but then you you what you risk then is is that if they if they don't sack and they drive, then you guess you're susceptible to a drive as well. So just. Is it, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of chess there, you know, where you have to you have to test the water a bit and um, and uh, but I I thought the, I thought now that the lines would have the odd little ace up the sleeve, you know, where there would have a few little wrinkles that they would have been uh, practicing specifically for this game, and I didn't really see very much. Uh, it was the same old kind of dogged dogged kind of stuff. Uh, and I would love to have seen something, uh, you know, like be it, be it like a shift mall or be it some sort of peel. Uh, we just didn't really see very much there. And the, the, uh, the All Blacks obviously were prepared for what they had seen and defended us in the uh, incredible, you know, tenacious manner that, they're, that, were, that we're used to seeing from the ABs. And, um, you know, it, it, you're not going to see, I don't think you're going to see much much uh give there in the next test either because it is what it is like they can drop them all if they're if they're able to drop the the lines mall there's very little you can do about it um unless you you know you put yourselves you put put yourselves in risk of a uh, of being driven back you know so it's, it's tricky um, it's, it's really tricky one, um yeah. hi malcolm it's rob here we brian and i've yeah. been talking for 45 minutes and the longer we've talked the more depressed I've got. I've got <laughs> not just talking to Brian, but um, <laughs> but um, you know, you look at every little area that we're we're pulling apart here, and and you're sort of thinking they've got a massive week to turn this round, you know, because yeah. we all know you, you you're done and dusted on Saturday if if it mm. if it goes the other way, and every area has got a challenge to fix. Um, and listening to Graham Henry there, you know that there's. How on earth can they can they fix up all these bits and pieces? Because they're actually all critical to to get yeah. back on the front foot. Because if you're not if you're not on the front foot against New Zealand, you haven't got a cat in hell's chance. And I think we expected to be at least on the front foot, you know, as much as they were, um, if not slightly more, actually, which would have given mm. us a chance to 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 get over the line. Which is why everybody was actually quite confident going into not overconfident but felt yeah. we had a chance yeah yeah i do yeah like if you were to break everything down in that match alone you'd say uh oh right we, we, we do have a lot but but they made a lot of mistakes they made a lot of mistakes that they hadn't made guys would make dropping ball um the conditions perhaps you know weren't as good as um maybe what they were used to mind you the weather has been pretty atrocious you know but if the guys can hold on to the ball it's all about not giving new zealand opportunities a lot of their scores came from turnovers yeah. came from moments where they just got the better of us where they just seemed to you know outsmart us um like i say take it back to that scrum um where they changed their they changed their loose head they changed their hooker uh we it, it, it was a great play because it was right before a scrum, but straight away we went, oh my god, they're going to attack this scrum. They turn over that scrum, and the brilliance of New Zealand then to take that opportunity and score the try is what they is what they is what they are all about, what they've made their name name on, and what makes them so brilliant. But we gave them the opportunity, 
Um, similarly, so as I said, we squandered our opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like we have to, we have to take those opportunities, and we can. Yeah. Ireland took them. England have taken them. Like we can, if we take our opportunities, we can be in the game. We can be in the hunt. But if we end up like we did, fifteen, uh, what was it, fifteen eight, fifteen eight down, and they get the next score, yeah. suddenly we're two scores out, and it can just seem like a incredible uphill battle. Well, Malcolm, so, let's 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 finish on that positive note because we've we've been struggling to find them. So the positivity yeah. that's come from you, I think we'll we'll leave it there. It's much welcome. Thank you very much. Great, no worries. Take care. Right, it's now time to speak to our second night of the realm tonight. That's just how good a quality show we've got for you. Uh, the Lions' former coach of many tours, Sir Ian McGeekin, joins us now from New Zealand. Uh, Geech, um, in the end, it was a fairly comfortable win for the All Blacks. I was surprised at the manner in which they were beaten uh, the Lions were beaten physically. Did that surprise you? Uh, yes, it did. Um, I think New Zealand had obviously decided to um, tighten their their tactical approach. Um, as you know, Brian, when, when you've got a, a rough defence with a, a good line speed, which the Lions have dominated teams with um, on the tour, um, you either stop that line speed by chipping over the top into space and, and, and force it to stop, or you play inside it. Uh, and I thought the All Blacks tactically um, had decided to play inside it off Aaron Smith uh, with some really good carries and um, played very tight channels and went at those channels uh, with two or three um, carries one after the other. So, uh, in the end, it was quite impressive up front the way they they kept that accuracy. Also, though, the solidity that I thought that an even edge they might have in the tight phases wasn't there. Now, is this the combination of this? Is this a question of coaching, players' attitude, um, or what? <laughs> well... You can probably answer that as well as I can with what you know the the, the front row and the, particularly the scrum engagements. I thought um, actually it, it was quite interesting. The very first scrum of the game was I think was a New Zealand put in, and I and I thought right now we'll we'll try and we'll we'll see how we're going. And the scrum never moved, yep. and I thought well that that's parity on all black ball. What happens when the Lions get it? And I think. Um, when the Lions had the had the put in, then there was that little bit of give early on. But I must admit, I was surprised to see um, how New Zealand got that drive. They they were very compact mm-hmm. as a as a pack, um, very compact, and uh, and obviously they'll be psychologically um, very pleased with the fact that they scored a try off um, a. a a well, uh, well-driven scrum. Gage, just Brian and I were talking earlier about <clears throat> again this this whole physicality thing, and and whether somehow it didn't feel like um, um, I'm going to use the word angry lions performance in terms of the taking New Zealand on. It it almost looked because the Crusaders game and the Maori game, um, they looked like they were absolutely. Cr- 
crystal clear in how they were going to play, what they were going to do. And they were either caught slightly unawares by what New Zealand were doing to them, or they sort of almost assumed that they were going to be able to, to get on the front foot against New Zealand. And, and that never happened, and they never really recovered from that. No, I, I think um, one, of the, one of the things that they um, uh, developed, which if we looked at the, you know, that first five, six, seven minutes of the game, the Lions had a really good start, probably should have scored, and got on the front foot very quickly. But as soon as New Zealand got the ball... Um, there was a different pace to what they were doing. Um, and I, th- I think they surprised the Lions for where they ran mm-hmm. and the channels mm-hmm. they ran. And, uh, and I think um, whereas the game at one pace, the Lions had been able to really challenge, I think suddenly they were chasing not quite shadows, but not quite um, getting there. And, and I think that, that probably was... A surprise element, having started so well, I'd have to say, um, and and I, there was a period of twenty minutes where the pace of the game, watching it, was um, was incredible. Mm. Uh, but I thought, uh, looking at it, um, I thought the Lions defended well, considering that they were having to actually defend off the back foot and then not getting the same the same hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and one thing. I think that they came across that they hadn't come across before. Is all the other teams had played in front of them, in in the centres, and they'd managed to get these early big hits in. Uh, and when New Zealand settled down, because I think New Zealand were a little bit tentative in that first ten minutes, um, all these hits were coming in these in these tight channels, yeah. which which took all the physical impact. I think that the Lions probably wanted to make uh, away, and and I think it was as much that. Rob, that that um, probably just surprised them a, a little bit, uh, and they couldn't get at the players they mm-hmm. they wanted to get, you know, to get at, um, and really get some um, some telling hits in. It was it was a really interesting game to watch it on the television because it didn't it sort of looked like a game shape that we hadn't seen in in virtually any of the warm up games. Um, in a sense, yeah, totally. particularly the way that the New Zealanders took the ball once, as you said, once they had it, and the the areas they went and the offloads and the quick, quick the 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 pace of the delivery from the breakdown was unbelievable. And Aaron Smith's delivery away from it to the next runner, who then offloaded it to the next runner, and they were they were across the gain line against a very powerful defence, sometimes ten or twelve yards across the gain line in next to no time. Um, and, and it was just as that shape of it. And then actually, ironically, sort of some of the Lions play, particularly from deep, was also of, of, a, of a type that we hadn't really seen much. So we, all, we almost, I was watching this game thinking, I hardly seen, the Lions haven't played like this and I, we weren't expecting New Zealand to do this. So we finished the first round of game and we sort of sat here thinking... How does how does round two shape up now? Because we've actually got a different landscape, or it looks like a different landscape to the one we thought we had last week. Yeah, very. And you know, all the provincial teams, uh, had, as I say, had played into the centres uh, because that's how Super Rugby plays. Mm. And and the, and the Lions' line speed um, 
had caught them out. The Highlanders, their approach was to was to put the ball behind them and try and slow that line speed down. But none of the teams had gone off nine and gone in these tight channels. Um, and the other thing I, I think that, that they do, that our game needs, is the ball carrier staying on his feet and keeping a drive going. So the platform of a compact mm-hmm. keeps going forward. And, and as soon as they get over the game line, and then you're having to tackle from the side, they don't go down. And I think one of the problems and issues I have with our game is as soon as we hit contact, the player goes to ground mm-hmm. and, and then we're trying to fight over the ball. They keep working, their leg drive and the, just the dynamism of the ball carrier going into contact with two support players who then just take any defenders away from him. Well, He's actually presenting ball in a space. And, yeah. I, you know, Aaron, Aaron Smith was had this ball... It was in space. He's so good at getting it away anyway. But then they were into that next channel again, doing exactly the same. So Graham Menry um, uh, has just been on and he's been talking about uh, not just the aspect of staying on the feet, but that the Kiwis take the view that if they hit hard enough and blast the players away from the uh, breakdown, that the ball will take care of itself, whereas... A lot of the Lions and Northern Hemisphere players look to stop over the ball and protect it in a way yeah. Yeah. that they don't need to. Because if you advance the game line by smacking people backwards, then then the then the, the the opposition shouldn't be able to get hold of it. it absolutely, and the, the thing that that they were looking at is if if that happens early, then the next forward in picks the ball up. If yeah. the ball's there, mm-hmm. it's in their hands again. It's off the ground. Yeah, um, and if two Lions are coming in. They're prepared to have two hits, and then it's nine picking it up. Yeah. So all the time, the space over the ball, they're aiming to have clear. Mm. Um, and then their good decision making in that channel is how they how they then either leave it to go through because it's still a, there's still a threat there, or there's a space to pick it up and they can take it uh, another two or three meters. And I think. The other thing, by doing that, they keep knocking players out of the way of the space directly ahead of the ball. Yeah. And what we do is we tend to cover the ball and stay over the top of it mm-hmm. or on it. But, of course, that becomes a brick wall for anybody who's working behind it because yes. you've, you've then got to clear that. Sometimes they can almost, just with a, with a pickup, go through that same, that same space because yeah. ahead of the ball is actually still clear. Yeah, uh, and and that Rob, that talking about Ryan, uh, Rob, the, that change in game. It was that area they got to that that actually accelerated the game, and then they did get the little offloads in because they followed each other two, three, yes, two, three at a time down the same channel. So, you know, they knew exactly what they were trying to do to take that line speed, and then once they were in there and two or three passes or two or three quick rocks later, knowing the line speed had gone, then suddenly it was into um, the hands of, of players like Sonny Bill and, and, and Ritalik, who in the first half I thought was magnificent yeah. in, in the, the yardage he took. And everything was in that channel or, or just close to it. Yeah. Geach, uh, it goes without saying, and I'm sure we all agree, that without the edge in the physical confrontation, the Lions 
will not have a chance of square in these series. But assuming they can get parity or even a little bit more, what else tactically do they need to 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 do? I think I, I'd still like to see them. I think the breakdown work. And I think the great thing about Alliance Group is because you've got very good players, tactically you can move on quickly. As long as everybody you know, realises that you've got to change something or work on something. And I, I think if the Lions work on that, their breakdown work, because I think it's too, it's almost something with two heads, that if you get it right, you create quick ball for yourselves, which, are, which allows the space to play. But if you're defending and you're doing that, you're actually starting to slow your opponents down. And I, and I think the Lions have to look at that in a really carefully to say, right, this is what we're going to do in Wellington next Saturday, and, and these are the reasons why. Uh, obviously, uh, I, I would like to think that they'll, they'll keep working on the scrummaging because I think the line, the line out was, was parity, pretty much a couple lost either way. Uh, but I think it was the, you know, just that pressure that was coming in on the scrums in the second half, which, um, again, just allowed New Zealand to be on the on the front foot at, at key times. And uh, so I think they'll work. The set piece is still going to be very important to to be able to get right. So at least they've got these stable platforms to, to play off. And last but not least... Um, I thought the back three played well in attack, but it's 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 making sure that when New Zealand kick that that we uh, we catch the ball and uh, we don't give them any opportunities from from their kicking game. Yeah, Geese, just what changes to the team would you make? And, and also, <laughs> did I mean do, yeah. do you think there's there's going to be quite a bit of psychological damage that was done on Saturday that 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 may take a bit of recovery from? Uh, no, uh, to be honest, Rob, I think um, just watching it and just watching the activity, I thought I'm watching a very, very good test match of, of two teams. You know, at 13-8 at half-time, I thought this is a great game of rugby. Um, you know, and it was it was full on. Um, it, and you, you're saying, crikey, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot to play for. And after 50 minutes when the Lions came out, Again, should have scored just after half time. Uh, they played some good rugby. The difference was, and it has been one of the things that's been said all tour, is that rugby wasn't reflected on the scoreboard. So the, the scoreboard pressure on the All Blacks wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as happens, you know, just one 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 try from just switching off a little bit of a, a tap penalty under the post, you know. Test match rugby, you don't do that, do you? Well, no. the All Blacks do. Yeah. So I think it's having that that attitude and approach, which is which is really important. And I thought for 50 minutes, um, it was um, it was nip and tuck. Although you always felt that when New Zealand were on the front foot, you could see this this pace and this intensity come in the game, and that's where the Lions have to match them. Well, Geach, it's going to be back to the wall, but. Um... You and think oh we well we've all been involved in uh, setting tests that had to be won and they've been won so <laughs> let's let's hope that's the case next Saturday. Thank you very much, mate. Yeah, no pleasure, pleasure, Mora. I don't think they'll get quite away with what we uh, decided to do, but uh, 
That's, well, that's another story on its own. Okay, time now to switch codes uh, briefly. I think this will be a welcome uh, respite from deconstructing that loss. Uh, and I'm really pleased to say we can speak to a, a rugby league legend, a Hall of Famer in Gary Schofield. Hello, Gary. Hi, Brian. You OK? Yes, not too bad. Uh, not too bad. Let's start at the top, as we perhaps should do. Uh, Tigers, another win. 23-12 over the Rhinos, Zach. Um, Hardacre try against his parent club. Um, look, was this just a question of someone like uh, Gale being, a, a, you know, his general control, I thought, in the game was superb? Yeah, absolutely uh, sensational. But also as well, I guess it was, everybody's asking the question, how they're going to react, Brian, from the uh, the quarterfinal defeat uh, against Holy before? And everybody was saying, well, let's see what sort of character uh, Casford have got here now after that huge disappointment. And as I said, Leeds, they were looking for revenge because we all know what happened in round three where we got hammered by 66-10. There was yeah. two good players at the Magic Weekend, big West Yorkshire derby. Yeah. So this this realistically should have been where Leeds, yeah, they get ripped into Castleford and uh, let's see what sort of character they got. But Castleford again on Friday night showed what sort of a team they are this year. And when it's uh, when it's A boys' A time, when it's time to uh, roll your sleeves up and ask a few more questions, different questions from this Castleford side, we all know what sort of quality they've got on attack and defensively they're very good. Yeah. But I think it just showed the character of this Castleford side because in the end, they were far too good for Leeds. Well, they, I think McDermott's saying uh, you, can, you can give them the... Uh... You can certainly give them the league. Is that a bit, a bit too soon to say that? I don't think so, mate. No, league no. leader's uh, shield, maybe. League leader's yeah, shield, yeah. he said. Yeah, yeah, the league yeah. leader's shield, then obviously yeah, the grand final, because what Casper are going to come into, uh, certainly uh, when the business end starts now, all right, we've got to get to round 23 and then the seven games for the league leader's shield, but then it's going to be unknown territory from a point of view, can they handle pressure? Certainly people ask the questions when they got beat in the quarterfinal. Hull did a great job on them defensively. Hull did a great job, but it's going to be a different dimension for them. But I think certainly what you saw on Friday night, uh, asking a few questions, showing that character, that spirit, what they've got, I think they came up with a lot of answers. Yeah. Um, Hull, who are, uh, you know, a decent chaser, in the end ran out, you're quite significant winners, 40 points to 18 at Wakefield. This sort of, but, but this was sort of a, a bookended performance for me. Wakefield dragged themselves back into it, but just couldn't. You know, they got caught a bit cold at the start, and then they couldn't hang on at the end. Is, it, and is that just a question of concentration, or is it a reflection of the fact that Hull, you know, are generally a better team, or, or both? Yeah, I would say, uh, to be honest with you, Brian, but a little bit more quality, I would say, from uh, from the Hull side. And uh, yeah, yeah I, again, after that great victory against uh, Cass, this could have been a banana skin fixture. Uh, Wakefield. They need the reaction after their poor display against Salford, to be honest with you. They never turned up against Salford the week before. Yeah. But again, it just shows you a whole how serious they want to be. But again, a different philosophy from the coach, Lee Radford. He said, we don't want to peak too early in the season. We want to stay in there. We want to stay in the hunt as far as what we can. But then when the business end of the season starts, that's when you'll see the best of our side. So again, yeah. Hull... OK, yeah, I think Wakefield were leading by about eight points in one part of the game, but again, it just showed the different character uh, what Hull FC have got this year. And uh, yeah, when the business end comes to it, they're going to be very strong. Thrilling, well, a couple of thrilling finales, actually, but uh, the Maddie Smith uh, drop goal <laughs> effort for St Ellen's 25, Salford 24. How is it, I mean, how is it possible for a, 
a professional side to concede three tries in seven minutes. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you what, mate. If, we, if part of us knew, we wouldn't be doing uh, interview radio. <laughs> to be honest, it would be. We'd bought it all up and say, listen, for... Uh, for, for let's just say for 73 minutes you're going to be rubbish but then for seven minutes you're going to be great we'd be excellent won't we but yeah. uh, again uh, the questions will be asked we sent Ellis but yeah great recovery that word in sport you know momentum is a big uh, change but uh, I was just laughing there before he asked the question Brian the celebration from Matty Smith to be honest, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if you've seen it Brian yes, to be honest but you yeah. would have thought they've won the grand final the Challenge Cup but the World Club Challenge at the end of the day it's only two Super League points yeah they got the, they got the win from there but I'm sure Justin Holbrook maybe having asking a few questions of his side, mm-hmm. you know how they got themselves in the in that position in the first place. Yeah, got the victory in the end, but uh, a lot of hard work to do uh, for St. Helens. Well, someone who wasn't happy was Sean Wayne. Uh, too many penalties, too many areas. He said didn't give a chance a chance to win, and they didn't even lose actually. But uh, uh, <laughs> well, he's a pretty hard character to uh, to satisfy, Sean, isn't he? Right? Yes, yes, he is. But also, I think uh, the traditions at Wigan. They're not used yeah. to uh, they're not used to you coming unstuck as they have done this season with significant shipping of points and I think uh, well you you tell me how how big is the expectation on them each and every season? Well, it's huge, and and uh, you know they put big expectations on themselves, but also too again this is uh, this is another situation where you, you don't only find Wigan out where they're eighth in the in, in, in the league to be honest with you, and uh, yeah. there's only four games to go now before the split, and there's still people saying. Well, can they finish in the bottom four? Well, I think they've got too much quality from that. And when I look at the last four fixtures, uh, three of them are at home who, who they're going to play. So they won't they won't drop into the bottom four. But are they going to be too far away for the top four? Yeah, I think so. So I don't think uh, we're going to go in anywhere near the grand final this year, to be honest with you. And their only hope of silverware is uh, is going to be the Challenge Cup. Uh, can I just ask you about a, a different matter? So now their appeal against uh, Ben Barber's 12-match suspension, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're saying that that he's been deferred for no good or valid reason. What what do you think of their 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 case? I find it absolutely ridiculous. I do indeed, and I am totally, I am totally against drugs uh, in any sort of form, whether it's social, whether it's taking it socially, and certainly in a sport. He's been caught taking cocaine, whichever it doesn't matter if it's at NRL, whether it's with rugby union or whatever, and he has to stand. And if the RFL don't back that up and ban him from uh, from a 12 games, what he, he has got for money. It's not long enough anyway, to be honest with you, Brian. But uh-huh. uh, no, this should stand. And if the RFL back down to it, he's just going to give everybody a free reign to take any sort of drugs, what they want. And I say, go to an appeal or whatever they want to do. No, I find it absolutely disgusting that uh, this is even being taken what it is. The RFL should make a stance. He's doing the 12-month ban. He doesn't make his debut until around about September the 12th and move on from there. I find it absolutely uh, disrespectful uh, to our great game. I do. Okay, well that's fairly uh, that's fairly clear. I uh, well, I tell you, and a good thing actually to hear someone not trying to make excuses. Um, oh no, 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 not not a chance, Brian. No, no way, mate. And uh, as I say, you do, well, in the end, if you think about it, it'll give everybody a free roll, won't it? It'll give everybody a free range just to say, well, I can have I can have one go and I'll get away with it. No, for me, yeah. I'm totally anti-drugs, and this ban should stand. Okay, but that Dan Evans is going to get four years, isn't he, from tennis? Or depend, well, it depends on. The I don't know. Well, he might say we could but... be like Richard Gasquet and claimed he kissed a girl called Susie well... in a nightclub, and that was a you only get twelve months. I don't know. But um... uh, look, I tell you what, let's move on to the. Let's see, we're coming to the stick and lift part of the uh, the, the the season, aren't we? Uh, now and um, yep. can you see what? What's your top four? Uh, the top four, uh, Castleford. Yeah, Castleford have finished top. 
Hull uh, will be certainly in there. Leeds, it depends if Leeds can get the attack right. They, uh, they uh, certainly have a big chance of finishing there. And I think Salford, there's enough in Salford from there that they will be uh, in the top four. People are saying about St. Helens, I think they're only five points away from there. But I just don't think there's enough quality in there. So the top four is in, in an order. Yeah, I would say Cass, Hull, Salford and the Rhinos. Okay. And the bottom, and the bottom four, Brian, the bottom <laughs> yeah. four, you see it as it is at this moment in time. It's going to be Lee, Widness. Believe it or not, who would have said these two teams, Warrington and Catalans in the well, bottom War, four? War, War, Warrington, after the start to the season that they had in the World Club, I was just, it, it, well, it just shows, doesn't it, how much confidence is a factor in, in, in this game. Well, it is indeed. And also as well, mate, you know as well as I do, when you're in the dressing room as well, and that dressing room's been lost. Yeah. I reckon that there's clicks here, there, there's clicks there, and uh, you can see, you know, the team's but it's nowhere near as what, what it no. has been at Warrington. That dressing room has gone. You know what it's like in there. And if that's gone, Brian, yeah. it's simply, quite simple, it ain't coming back at Warrington. They're finishing in the bottom four. So there you have it. If you want to put money on it, that, that's fair. That seems definitive to me. That's great as always, Gary. Take care, mate. Speak to you later. Thanks very much, Brian. Thank you. Ta-da. Oh, Tony Smith then. Well, um, yes. Well, he's been linked with other jobs. Um, it's uh, that's a big, big call. That if if Gary thinks that the address, you know, it's like if a, if a coach has lost a dressing room or the dressing room. Well, I hate gone. the I hate that phrase first of all, loss of dressing room, because it implies if I don't like someone, I'll just do a bad job, um, but, which but, you're not allowed to do in in other in in other forms of employment. But it happens in sport, doesn't it? Yeah, that's sadly, true. it does. Yeah. Anyway, it's now time to hear from another member of the team. Behind the team. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions, supporting the team behind the team. As those of you who regularly uh, listen to the show, supported by QBE Business Insurance, we've been looking at the team behind the team across the series of these podcasts. And today we're talking to the Master Chef of the 2005 2009 tours, David Campbell. Uh, here's his story and how he got involved with the Lions. Really, I was just in the right place at the, at the right time, sort of thing. There was no interview process or anything. I was I was the chef. Uh, I was one of the senior chefs at Penny Hill Park and I was playing rugby and I was interested in sports nutrition at the time. So um, I think Dave Redden, who was England's um, conditioning coach, uh, and a couple of the Harley Street nutritionists that England were working with, uh, wanted to kind of... Um, started looking at how diet could get, get incorporated um, and it just really came from that sort of yeah. thing. It started with just helping them write menus at Penny Hill um, and from that it really just snowballed to be honest. I, I, was, I was lucky just to be in the right place at the right time. Uh-huh. What, how much has the nutritional side advanced since that time do you think? Um, well I, I mean the last tour I did was 2009 in yeah. South Africa. And, I, and I, I assume it's it's advanced quite a bit since then, but yes. um, at the time there were it was a lot it was a lot of high class quality proteins, uh, yeah. complex carbohydrates, um, hydration, lots and lots of vegetables, uh-huh. uh, and they were looking at things like quinoa and lentils and all that kind of stuff. But, yes. Um, but <laughs> rugby players in general don't eat quinoa and lentils. <laughs> it's, it's, more, it's more sausage and mash sort of thing. So there was always a kind of trying to get the balance right between what the nutritionists wanted and what the players would actually eat. Yeah, because I, I remember when we uh, started that uh, a long time back when Tom McNabb came in and they tried to introduce us to healthy eating. 
Um, yeah. The food was so bland that everyone used to eat it and then go down the McDonald's uh, and, eat, and eat something. <laughs> Sounds because, about right, to be honest. Same sort of, same sort of thing. Dilbert, did do how was it organised? Were they uh, individual players' meals or were they groups of things? Could you be that specific or not? I mean, for England, for instance, there was 45 people roughly on a tour. Right. Uh, and with the Lions, uh, I think New Zealand was, uh, was, was about 80 at one point. Yes. Um, and in South Africa, I think it was about 70 to 75, and uh-huh. that sometimes went up and down a little bit. Uh, so you couldn't be too specific. I mean, what, what, what you tried to do was, um, was be popular. Yes. You tried to take a populist slant to the food. Uh-huh. Um, I keep it interesting and varied, but, but you, I mean, you didn't want to be too chefy with it. There was no point to try to be too chefy. And right. also you have to factor in that the, you'd have the post-match days, pre-match meals. Uh, and then sometimes you just want to give them happy, happy food. Like, you know, sometimes fish and chips was, yes. was a, a, a treat and stuff like that. So, but, yeah. but you, you couldn't go down to tailor individual's diets. I, I, okay. I think the players did that with the nutritionists said, you need to eat less of this and more of that. Okay. You just factor it all into Fair one enough. meal plan. How did match day vary to non-match days then? Well, match day you'd have more meals because um, I think if you're playing in the Southern Hemisphere, the kickoffs all tend to be evening. Yes. Uh, South Africa occasionally they'd be, they'd be an afternoon kickoff, but in New Zealand, for instance, you would do breakfast as normal, uh, and then there'd normally be an earlier lunch, um, and then you'd do a pre-match meal round about four o'clock, uh-huh. which would be very simple, kind of nothing spicy, nothing with onions in it, nothing which is going to upset your your, your stomachs and that, that tend to be baked beans on toast and poached eggs and uh-huh. just simple easy things for people to consume and digest scrambled eggs that kind of stuff yep uh, and then there'd be a, a post-match meal as well mm-hmm. uh for the play, for the for the 23 who'd played uh and invariably everybody else dived in as well yeah that sounds <laughs> so, like a long so, day to me yeah it was it was a, it was a long day and um uh, I mean, if you think of a, of a Lions tour, of you, you're in camp um, for about 10 to 12 days before you go. Yes. And then the actual tour itself is about 35 to 40 days. You don't, I mean, it's, it's about a 55-day stretch, really, and you, there's no days off in it. So, yeah, it was yeah. a long day for the, for the management uh, and a boring one for the players, especially the playing night. They're just sitting yeah. around all day. So food, food became a, a kind of focal point, really. Yes. Um, how does that? I mean, my family are obsessed with uh, cooking programs, uh, yeah. Ram, Ramsay and Master Chef, and all these things. Now, when you're walk, when you're going round to the various hotels, I mean, how does that work with their normal chefs? Because you you can't just, can you can you just say like, I want the kitchen, or, or because they've got other meals to prepare, presumably for their their other guests. Well, to be honest, that that that's probably the, that was probably the trickiest thing to do. Um, when you went on a long tour, like a Lions tour, there'd be three base hotels generally in yeah. the cities. Generally, where the tests would be, there'd be base hotels. Fair enough. Uh, and they were quite good uh, because they'd be bigger hotels and be slightly more cosmopolitan. And you'd just say to the, you'd be emailing the the, the menus over to the, the head chef beforehand. Right. And you say, look, I need three or four people to work with me because I, I don't know your kitchen, I don't know where anything is. So basically, yeah. I need two or three cooks and a couple of people just running. Um, and that that was that generally tends to work okay because you'd be there for ten or twelve days at a time. But it's the smaller, little, yes. um, more rural hotels where you'd fly in for a game, stay one night, and then fly out the next day. That's where it almost became like a smash and grab thing. Get in, <laughs> get what you need, get it done to the best of ability possible, and 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 get out and get back to the base. Yeah. So, um, but it, it, that 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 could be a challenge, sort of thing, depending on the kitchen staff and the, the, and the hotel setup. How much of this could you? Um prepare in advance and how much had to be 
sort of winged? Uh, I, I, I won't lie, there was a certain amount of winging <laughs> in quite a lot of places you went. There was a, there was a hotel I went to in, in South Africa um, and I'd, I'd emailed them beforehand and spoken to the chef. I said, is everything ready? Because I, I was only arriving three or four hours before the team. Yeah. Um, and I always did a simple meal when we got them, uh, the first meal at a hotel. And yeah. he, he, I said to him, where's the chicken for, for, the, for the dinner? He said it was downstairs in the freezer. Oh. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. And um, I went down to and it was literally a 10-kilogram block of frozen chicken supremes. <laughs> and uh, I, won't, I won't tell you how we got round that, but we got round it and... and, and <laughs> And, and winged it. There was a fair. There was in the small. In the small. The big city. As I said, the big city centre hotels were generally pretty good. But there was a certain amount of winging went on when you got to um, yeah. some of these little smaller rural hotels. Did you have any sort of strange requests from the coaching team or the or the, or the players? Well, you know, in this regard. Uh, no, not really. There was. I mean, Jason Robinson would would never eat. He couldn't eat on match days, uh-huh. so he he just had like a, a chocolate and banana smoothie. Uh, Will Greenwood was was liked an omelette before matches. Uh-huh. Uh, Martin Johnson was very simple with things he liked, sort of thing. He quite happy to just have a ham sandwich, uh, sort of thing. But the, the, the players were pretty good, to be honest. This was all his professionalism was had really started yeah. to kick in. So the, the players were were all quite conscious of their diets and stuff. And you you, you could relax it every now and again. You know, like there was, we used to do chocolate biscuits for them, sort uh-huh. of thing. So just to keep them happy. But I used to have mash, there wasn't any mashed potato and gravy was mine. Yes, sausage, sausage, mash and beans. Yes, stuff like that. Thing. Yeah. And, um, and then fr- Friday nights before games was like lasagna. Yeah. Um, it kind of like happy food sort of thing. They'd be yeah. on diets all week sort of thing, yeah. so it was just happy food. Yeah. Um, what's the, what was the most important thing that they could, they could do with food to aid the recovery and training after games? Well, the longer tours where there's a lot of games, um, mm. which come thick and fast, it's just important to get the right kind of uh, complex carbohydrates yeah. um, and... Uh, proteins back into the system. I mean, straight after the games, you you know they can have coke, they can have um, any any carbs straight after the game just to get the body, just to get the yeah. the recovery process started. I mean, Dave Redden with England, he would give them out uh, those long kind of sugar snake sweet things. Yeah, um, and it comes as, and stuff. Like. It comes as quite of a, sh- a shock, you know, because. I remember listening to various, you know, footballers saying we have pizzas and things like that. I was people saying that's terrible. I said no, you just want to get the carbs back in. It's yeah, not they just want to get the carbs yeah. back in. Yeah. And, and, and what people forget as well is that these guys are highly trained athletes who are burning in training and plus matches. They're probably burning ten to twelve thousand calories a week, Oof. sort of thing. So they need to put stuff back in. Yeah. Um, but I mean, high quality proteins, complex carbohydrates, lots of uh, hydration, uh-huh. uh, lots of water. Aided by massage and everything, and that, that's that's the, the the kind of important thing. And and try to keep away from processed foods as well. Processed foods are not good; they take you longer for your body to to break down. Yeah. Uh, so so you know just just be healthy, just stick to good normal stuff. Did you provide any uh, substitute snacks? Because that snacking is is one of the problems for everybody. Um, well, the team the team rooms we'd, we'd always have uh, things like cans of tuna. Uh, lots of fresh fruit around at night time we do um, unsalted popcorn hummus yeah. oat cakes yeah. uh, anything like that sort of thing I'm, I'm sure I'm quite quite often you see players going in or at hotels and coming back with uh, bars at Mars bars yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. milks and stuff like that sort yeah. of thing so the, co- the coaches wouldn't wouldn't particularly like that but uh, you know if you're on a long tour you need you can't just eat as I said it's, it's you can't just eat everything that's on the, on the menu every day so uh, did you did you get 
see the the, the games, or were you stuck in the hotel there? No, I I I've, I went to most of the games, um, which was good. So I think I suppose the, the, the game time was the only time everything, everything kind of went quiet, sort of thing. And with the big with the bigger towels, uh, I I I learned uh, to to get them to do the post match meal. Right. Um, otherwise, I just thought I'm just going. I mean, that that would then turn into a ridiculous long day because by the time the players got back to the hotel, it'd be eleven at night. Yeah. Uh, sometimes later, sort of thing. I thought, well, I can't do that. I've got you got to be back down next morning. You got to pace uh-huh. yourself over these longer tours as uh-huh. well, otherwise you just burn out. So, so no, I went to most of the games, which as a rugby fan was was was, was brilliant to watch. And uh, did you approach it as a professional or as a fan, or or how did you approach the, the tour? Uh, well, initially as a fan, because yeah. um, I thought, wow, what, what an opportunity! This is this is fantastic. I remember the general manager at one of the hotels working out called me into his office and said. Uh, you know, this this is what they want you to do, and I was like, "Wow, uh, what what a fantastic opportunity!" But then, once you got out there, you had to be professional, sort of thing. I mean, you could, yeah. you weren't hassling players for autographs and stuff like that. You just became part of the backroom team. Uh-huh. Uh, so very much, I mean, I'm very much a rugby fan, and still am. I've watched all the games on this tour so far. Yeah. Um, but when you're on tour, you're there to do a job, and you have to do that to the best of your ability, 100. Yeah. percent Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It's always fascinating to hear. Um, about the people who are uh, in the team behind the team. Thanks very much to QBE Business Insurance who support the podcast and the team behind the British and Irish Lions team. QBE, about building the strongest possible partnerships, one team and collaboration across multiple countries to give businesses the confidence to achieve their ambitions. Final bit. Let's have a look uh, ahead to next week, Rob. Very interesting. I can't be looking forward to see... Surveyor, Milner, Scudder and Barrett playing together for the Hurricanes. But um, what's the most important thing f- from a Lions perspective? Well, they've, they've got to beat the Hurricanes definitely midweek, as we, as we say. But, you know, they've, they've, got to, they've got to be physical on Saturday. If they don't win the physical battle in the second test, yeah. then, then actually there's no way they're going to win. Um, even if they do win the physical battle or get parity, which they didn't get in the first test. Yeah. That doesn't give a guarantee that they can beat New Zealand, but it gives them a chance. Yeah. Um, we were discussing the magnitude of the challenge, and let's just make a couple of points. I'll make the one about the fact that everyone thought in 2015, when they lost about 600 caps and they lost Carter, Nonu, Woodcock... Uh, McCorse, Conrad Smith, um, Mialamu, that they would have a drip, uh, they'd have a drop in form, and they've actually improved. Yeah, I was really looking forward to it. I thought yeah. they're bound to dip between fifteen and nineteen. There's no way they can carry on at yeah. this level. Yeah. You, you've probably named three or four of the greatest All Blacks of all time. There, Carter, yeah. McCaw, Nonu would probably get close uh, yeah. to that. And actually, they've found others that look like they're going to actually go on and take take the mantle even higher. Yeah. That's the scary thing. Yeah. Um, you know, Bowden Barrett, who's only just started his career, for example, um, you know, and Kieran Reid is going to take on the mantle of captaincy, the two second rows. Graham Henry said the two, the best two, two ever. second ever yeah. playing yeah. for New Zealand. You know, it's, it is phenomenal. So, the, well, that is the magnitude of the test that the uh, British and Irish Lions have in the second test, but it's not without hope. But let's get this absolutely plain they need to win the physical battle or at least get parity that's the end of the show thank you very much for joining us 
You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with the Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. Many thanks to my co-host Rob Andrew for joining me in the studio this week and to our producer, as always, Abby Patterson. Next week, I'll be joined in the studio by former Lions and England number eight, Dick Easter. Remember, you can get in contact with us throughout the week via the hashtag Full Contact and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a review. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.